Hi, this is Brennan Davis from Bedrock Games and the Bedrock Blog, and I'm here with Adam and Joel for another episode of the Horror Express. And today we're going to be covering The Layer of the White Worm, a 1988 film directed by Ken Russell. This is a horror film, and it's it's sort of like avant-garde schlock. It's got monsters, boobs, and panties, but it has a point. And the basic plot is that after an ancient serpent cult dedicated to the Dampton Worm is unearthed in Derbyshire, a seductive snake lady named Lady Sylvia Marsh seeks human sacrifices and faces off against the descendant of the local worm slayer played by Hugh Grant. Now, I left a lot out, including major characters like the archaeologist that was... Uh, that was um, uh, played by Peter Capaldi, who we all know from Doctor Who, and uh, as well as many other things. But that's the gist. So before we even get into it, I know Joel had kind of a strong reaction when we sat down to just talk about the movie. I, I think I think what you said was this movie, guys. It was a you, you clearly yeah, had an impact on cool. you. So <laughs> what was your reaction to this film, Joel? Uh, okay, uh, I. I do like it. I might love it. But yeah, this movie's a trip, dude. I, I kind of, like, honestly, I was reminded a lot of, like, Salvador Dali paintings and uh, yeah. that movie Altered States. Well, like, he directed Altered like... States. The director directed okay, Altered well, States. well, there you go. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's a lot of trippy acid, like, dream sequences in this. And I don't know. I, and they are weird. Those scenes are fucking weird. Like, they're, that they, is... They are weird. Yeah. They're they're weird on a scale I was not anticipating, nor emotionally or mentally prepared for. Uh, I went into a psychic war fighting this movie as I was watching it last night before going to sleep. Also, by the way, don't watch this movie before going to sleep. Learn that the hard way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, 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 am with you on this. Well, actually, the main reason I wanted to review this was because I wanted to get Joel's reaction to it. Yeah, I was, me too. I was very sure you would love this movie. I was just, but I, I didn't want to overhype it or anything. But I'm like, yep, yep. I was gonna see what the reaction is. Precisely the correct amount of hype. But yeah, I, I, when I first watched, I already knew who Ken Russell was, but I didn't realize it was a Ken Russell movie. It was the horror movie yeah. I watched late on cable in the late '80s, and I was just. Yeah, as the movie went on, I'm like, what is going on here? This is just insane. But yeah, it's, I mean, you know, the, the basically it's a case where Ken Russell like wanted to direct another movie. The studio's like, if you give us a horror movie, we'll let you make the avant-garde movie you want to make. And yeah. he's like, okay, I'm going to make a conventional horror movie and make it as avant-garde and weird as I can. And that is the lair of the white worm. So It is, and like, it's like almost exactly the plot of Dracula when you, th- I mean, cause it's well, like yeah, a it's... noble who tries to kill people and also they're evil and immortal. That's Dracula. Well, well it's should, a Bram Stoker should, story. Have... It's based yeah. on Bram. Yeah. It's, it's not the Bram Stoker story really though. He took the title because here, actually here's the story behind it is okay. that, Bram, that Ken Russell, before he even got asked to do a horror movie, he had actually written an entire screenplay for his adaptation of Dracula because he loved Dracula so much. And they're like, well, you can't do Dracula. And he's like, okay, Let's do Lair of the White Worm, and I'll make it Dracula. <laughs> okay, that's interesting. Because here's the thing. I've, I've, I've never actually read Lair of the White Worm, but I've always been meaning to. And the thing that's kind of held me back is like, well, I've seen the movie, and I don't think I want to go through that in Bram Stoker-style prose. And Do you know what I mean? It's, but the, if it's movie, different... The, the book is just 
weird and disjointed and mm-hmm. has people trying to kill people with kites and stuff. And okay. I don't okay. know. The, 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 the character, the, the, you know, priestess character from this, she's not even like the main villain. There's like some other guy and okay. I don't know. It's, it is, it is, it is a book that Bram Stoker wrote as he was dying of syphilis. So. Oh, it's, for real? Oh, for real. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. Now yeah. I kind of want to read it. Well, I, I just, I remember, um, <laughs> Some sometimes that happens with older authors. Like I, I after I read Frankenstein, I was like, oh, I got to go read the what was it, The Last Man, that other book that she wrote, because I love yeah. Frankenstein, and I read oh, The yeah. Last Man, and it was just like a bummer to read. I mean, it wasn't necessarily a bad book; it just didn't hold a candle to Frankenstein. Yeah. And it was, you know, it was. I think in her case, it um, was her writing about like how all the people in her life had died, basically, and all the you know. So it was. It, it just had a much more somber desolate vibe and if he was dying of syphilis when he wrote that i can only imagine the impact it would have I like i like how you were like oh man frankenstein was great but this this book just isn't as cheery as frankenstein well, it just <laughs> no but frankenstein had a certain something there was an enthusiasm in the writing and there was uh-huh. it, i don't know there was just like something was there by a 19 year old girl no, well, no just that it it was literally done. it was though no I mean, but, like, but that's not, not what i'm zeroing in though well, but I, I think you are though, because I, I think whenever you're young and you write like that, there is a almost irreplaceable energy to it. Because like when I read my stuff now versus when I was writing when I was younger, the, the younger stuff is definitely less skilled. Yeah. But like the outpouring of like blind optimism and energy is really present. It's, yeah, I think they they might be zeroing in on that because she just happened to also be a, a writing genius at the time. Well, but the thing is, she suffered so much tragedy that I think she was just like broken by the time she got to the, the the last man. And 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 it's been a long time. Maybe there's more to the last man than I remember. But I remember it being very lonely and boring to read. That's my my memory of the book, um, which is probably how she felt. Do you know what I mean? That's is probably an accurate reflection. Of it. But 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 that aside, uh, you know, just getting back to the movie because we don't want to dwell too much on the on the source material, especially if it's you know not the not the same. Um, my, uh, my, yeah, my, I mean, there are elements of it. I don't yeah. want to like say he like totally yeah. threw the book out just to be clear, but it is yeah. not, it's not, it, there's, there's a lot of differences. Yeah. That's really kind of my point. Yeah. we got to, we always got to be wary of those, um, layer of the white worm fanboys lurking. I know pounce they're on out us. there, man. So, I, I don't the, want to, the I don't... infamous, the infamous Bram yeah. Stoker fanboys. <laughs> oh man. Don't get them riled. They'll be like, um, actually, there's a lot of elements in common between the, the, the written work and what we see in this interpretation. In, in my experience, the uh, people that hate Lair the White Worm the most are all Bram Stoker fanboys because, because only Bram Stoker fanboys have read Lair of the White Worm. Okay, That's, that would make sense. That would make sense. So yeah, my I I didn't realize this was a 1988 film. I thought it was made in the 90s because that's when I oh. remember renting it from the the video store with my friends. So I remember like when we were in high school, probably you know you know I'm I'm assuming around that time, early 90s is probably when we first saw it. And I just remember it making a big impact. And I had the same sort of thoughts that Adam did, which is I really want to know what Joel thinks about this movie because I because I, I know I know how it felt at the time. It kind of. As bizarre as it is, it fit in with a lot of the stuff that was in the air between the late 80s and the early 90s. But now it's obviously going to show its age a little more. And I hadn't seen it in a long time, so I was curious how I would feel about it going back to it. Um, And and I guess the, the first thing that really struck me that I didn't pick up on 
in the first viewing, or I don't remember picking up, was this is like a really English movie. Like this has yeah, a real English yeah, the, 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 I, like so almost to the point where there are aspects of the film that like reminded me of um, the Monty Python sketch about the tiger uh, attack. You, you know what I'm talking yeah. about? Yeah, I think so. Is that the one where the guy gets his leg eaten off by the tiger and he's just like super British about yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. Hugh Grant's character is so relaxed as his home oh is being God, invaded. I was so in love with his character. Oh, I forgot how hot he was. You guys didn't fucking warn me. I, well, there were a few things that I forgot. Number one, I forgot. I, I remembered him having a much smaller role, but he actually had a pretty sizable role oh, in the movie. I'm glad you said role. Uh, and, and, and I also... I also uh, and Adam, if I tread on something that you've said, let me know because I I'm worried that I that I heard you say something and didn't remember it consciously, and now I'm repeating something that was actually one of your I, observations. I will I will speak so, up yeah. if you steal. You so, do it so often, we call it the Brendan. Yeah, That's yeah. the move. So, but but the the fact that 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 you have both twelve doc twelfth doctors in this movie, Hugh Grant and Peter Capaldi. Who I didn't remember Peter Capaldi was in this, but if anybody's seen the um the it was that something you said or is the that cur- something... the curse of fatal death? I did not bring this up. Okay, that is a, that is a oh so okay that that's... Is... no that's you that's okay you. so yeah. so from a certain that's... angle I was like this could be like the most obscure Doctor Who episode ever if you think of it in a certain way like you know yeah. like but yeah. uh but yeah so like uh, just for people who don't know like Hugh Grant played the 12th Doctor in what was it the comic relief special with Rowan Atkinson yeah the curse of fatal death yeah curse of fatal death if you go to YouTube and Google curse of fatal death you're probably gonna find it so So he played the 12th and Peter Capaldi actually played the 12th Doctor and this was obviously made before then but it's just funny that they both played the 12th Doctor and they're they're both in you know (laughs) this movie and it's a movie that's kind of got like Doctor Who like special effects so I think that that adds like especially when you get to the worm the worm could easily be from an old Doctor Who episode in my opinion Um, yeah I have to I have to weigh in on your comment about the sheer Britishness of this movie too because I mean it is it is it is deliberate to an extent because basically when Ken Russell switched from doing Dracula to doing Lair of the White Worm in his head he's like reading through the book he's like he's like yeah every you know in Dracula you've got this kind of foreign vampire thing and Mm. he's like everything in this is you know down to the worm and stuff is British mythology and stuff so he he really kind of dived into making this as as absolutely a British horror movie as he could so yeah, I th- and, and 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 I mean, and, and that kind of gives it a certain amount of charm because it's. I mm-hmm. think I think for Americans, that's like the most exotic aspect of British culture is the, just again the thing that I was pointing to with the tiger sketch, where it's just in the face of all of these horror, horrible, terrifying things, <laughs> people are calmly just going about their business, and it, it, <laughs> it's you know they're just they're just so unshaken. You know, and it's just like, well, there's a, there's a, there's a, you know, there's, there's a reptile on the loose in my mansion, but you know, can't let that get to me kind of a thing. (laughs) Yeah, step up a lip. Yeah, it is extremely charming and it may be, it may be because of the actor. Um, But I mean, it's not just him though. Like the, the snake lady uh, is, is also apparently like a lady, like actual, like noble birth thing. Yes. And she's got that same attitude where she's like so above everything. And I love her performance in this movie. First of all, also gorgeous. There's a lot of beautiful svelte people in this movie. Um, 
I, this was a this was kind of a, a treat for me on a few levels. Well, but like, because it's a Scottish guy too, and I, I'm all into him. But that's Peter Capaldi, the Scottish guy, right? Oh mm-hmm. God, I loved him, and I, I love that he gets to actually like wear the full on like kilt and bagpipes later on, especially <laughs> yeah. because he actually wears it properly. And so later on in that same scene where he's getting his ass kicked, he pulls out the dirk that is a part of that uniform and stabs <laughs> with it. And I'm like, yes, I was waiting for it to come out. I knew that part. I'm just that Scottish. <laughs> I'm, I'm like a 16th or a 32nd Scottish, and so I have just enough to know that one factoid, and literally nothing else about Scottish culture. Argyle, haggis, I don't know, but I knew that thing about the, the stabbing dirt. part of being Scottish. You got that down. That's the. It, no matter how diluted it gets, you will never lose that part of your heritage, my fellow somewhat Scots. Yeah, yeah. The, <laughs> well, I, as me and Adam were talking about the cover, uh, an email and the cover because Hugh Grant's career has exploded on Amazon. Yeah. They put they they basically blow up his head and make that the cover. And the woman is just in the little corner. But that woman was actually the selling point of the film when it first came out. She was the the lady that plays uh, Sylvia Marsh. She was the 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 scene where she's coming out of the basket is sort of what I re- that's the cover that I, I remember seeing. To. Yeah, that, 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 that image is funny, too, because it's so it's so cheaply and shoddily done. But somehow they have the eye line of the giant Hugh Grant head lines up to like Amanda Donahoe, the, you know, the snake person, her, her. So it's like basically it looks like he's looking at a tiny snake person. So it's just like, <laughs> that's yeah, kind of, it's, it's weird, this weird sense of scale to it. It's like, yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. It's like, honey, I shrunk the snake vampire it should be the title. But. <laughs> well, one thing I did like about this was how much they committed to the whole snake thing. Do you know what I mean? Like right down to like some of that stuff. It does yeah. kind of look ridiculous, but they commit so heavily to it. It, 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 it is works. ridiculous, but it's wonderful. Yeah. Like, this movie is it is never afraid to be completely silly like yeah. throughout, which 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 adds to the charm of it i mean it's just it's just a lot of fun to watch (laughs) and and to get to the um well first one thing i did want to also talk about is how they brought roman britain into that i thought i thought that was kind of cool how that's the the background like that's i guess how they you know they don't need to go to transylvania because england has its own you know long history and they can just you know bring in this idea of a cult from roman times you know that uh i guess you know attacked a, a convent of nuns or something and you know we have some vague sense of what the history is there uh yeah. I, and i like one I, trippy trippy flashback and i and i really liked how it opens with the archaeological dig that was kind of nice you know what i mean and how they you know the, and how they sort of talk i mean it's not it's not like it's bogged down in technical details or anything like that it's definitely a very light film in that respect but but yeah. you know they do kind of have a conversation about how like the the depth is an indication that was a fun moment yeah i I will say i was struck by the accents immediately in that scene because i didn't know this this was a a really british movie and i was like holy hell yeah at first i thought they were fake and then i realized no they're just really really thick yeah yeah (laughs) the accents were very heavy i i actually relied a little bit on the subtitles in a couple of sections of that scene just because i was having my ear was i well my hearing's bad number one so like if there's an accent that sometimes makes it a little hard for me to hook on to what people are saying and so you know yeah. was, uh, uh, go ahead okay as far as the history goes too it's like you know the dampton worm in this is based off the lampton worm which is a real legend in british history and that song that song you have near the beginning 
that is actually like the real Lambden Worm song. Like that is actually an old folk song. So it's like this all is actually based in British. It's folk like the it's the British version of Cotton Eye Joe. You know that? I don't know Cotton Eye Joe actually. It's got that kind you of a heard, sound. It's got that sort of a sound to it. Really? Oh, I may I have heard. I just not remember. But you that invented Cotton Eye Joe? I've been married a long time ago. Where did you come from? Where did you go? Really? I'm the only hick here. No, I know Cotton Eye Joe too. <laughs> Thank I'm sure. You. God, I was feeling very southern. No, but Adam, Adam didn't not, grow I'm up not in the United States. American, despite my accent, yeah, yeah, that yeah. Might be part of the issue. Oh, Ad- that's right. You're a dirty foreigner. I forgot about that. But you're not exactly. Canadian, so we'll let that pass. Yeah, Adam, I think Adam was probably in the Middle East when Cotton Eye Joe was. Uh, <laughs> that, that, that is a cultural black hole I have from about like 80 to 84. It's like most stuff that happened in there. I only know it secondhand because I was off in what? the Middle East and we didn't have the Internet back then. So, When did Cotton Eye Joe come out, Joel? Do you remember? Oh, I, I, at some point during the, the techno revival in the 90s. I don't know. I mean, it was all maybe, he was in Butthead, wasn't maybe, it? Maybe so, like, you were that's, just that's kind of the era. You might have just been too high, Adam, if it was the nineties. That might be the the more the more likely excuse. Everybody everybody yeah, we'll was, go with that. Yeah. We'll go with that. But uh but excuse. but yeah, I I I'm, I was really going on a tangent over this, but yeah, you're basically right. It is kinda of got a cotton eyed Joe type sound, it that does. song. Well I mean and well that... mostly because they, they do kind of like they, they sort of perk it up and make it a little more techno, but it's clearly based on like a, a folk song. Um also sung okay. by Beautiful, slender people. Like, this whole movie is just staffed with the sexiest people. <laughs> I looked at Cop Night Joe, by the way. It was 1980. And Whoa. I... I will, I, I have to say, I have to bring it up because it was brought, it, well, actually in 1980 was what re-sparked an interest in it. And because it was in the movie Urban Cowboy, which is a movie, John Travolta movie, I hate more than any other movie. Because when we moved to Kuwait, I'm going off on a tangent here, I realize, but... Uh, <laughs> When we moved to Kuwait, that was when we first got a VCR because they were amazing new inventions. And I was allowed to pick up one movie and I bought Airplane. I was like, yeah. And I was going to have that as my one movie I could watch living in this country where I couldn't easily get access to movies. And we got to Kuwait, put out our VCR. I took the shrink wrap off my, my videotape, opened it. And inside the airplane case was urban cowboy so oh, oh, i i had no. i had cotton eye joe in my hands and and just i i tried watching it for five minutes and was like no this is <laughs> terrible so I, that I that really that really yeah, as a no, kid that would be forgiven. a disappointing uh mis misunderstanding or i don't know just mispackaging error that's a yeah that's that's a nightmare dude i I, the scale of that is is crushing yes i concur oh let's get back to layer of the white worm because i really like that scene didn't mean to fall Um, no no that was a that was a great tangent we've put the cotton eye joe comment succinctly to bed i think that's the final nail (laughs) i don't know i think we could talk about cotton eye joe for a long time but we'll uh we'll let it die where did it come from where will it go where did it come from (laughs) cotton eye joe anyway so god we're gonna have to do a cotton eye joe (laughs) okay but all right so i like that scene in a lot of ways mostly because it it had a thing where it was themed around worms and at one point he's eating pickled worms that was the part yeah so I had a question. Is that actually a thing? What did he say? It's, it's pickled earthworms in 
I forget what the chemical was. In aspic. Yeah. Aspic. Well, that was aspic is basically jellies. But I don't. I've never heard of pickled worms in. Uh, well, jelly deals. I'm thinking of like there's jelly deals is a is a is a British well, thing, but I don't know. Of, I don't. Just I don't these, think the worm thing is real. He's got these worms dangling from his mouth. He's eating them like spaghetti in a very sloppy way. And all I could <laughs> think is like, who eats something that looks like that without even inquiring what it is? Like that. Like I. I was as a soon as I saw. That's I, I guess that. I guess that's the. <laughs> because i saw the i saw these red worms dangling from his mouth and i'm thinking are those worms are those because i don't remember the scene it was ages ago that i saw it the first time and i'm yeah, like are those worms were... and then he confirms yes those are indeed worms and it was uh you, you know, are eating worms sir which... and like that's the most god another extremely british conversation that is because of just like how like everything is this like arid dry desert wit that still is like cutting as a straight razor. It's really great dialogue and it's brilliantly delivered. Yeah, that that conversation can like fly over your head. That whole conversation is just littered with all kinds of things being said between them. And you could watch that and miss everything because it's delivered in such a dry way. Oh, God, I love it. <laughs> I'm sure I and, didn't catch everything. And that's also the setup for, like, who's who. Like, that kind of establishes who, you know, like, who Hugh Grant is in the setting and the background story. Yeah. And, you know, it if, helps. You, if you watch this again back in 88, you, like, and you told someone, hey, Hugh Grant and Capaldi have both got big careers ahead of them. You'd have no doubt based on this movie. It's like they're both <laughs> yeah. really good in it. <laughs> There's a lot of great casting in this movie. I will oh, say sure. there are a few missteps. Um, well, let's uh, hear who you think the missteps are. Uh, yeah, you know, was, who, who was that? Who was that blonde in the first scene with the archaeological dig? That girl. Oh, the, the, the short hair or the long hair? Short hair. The short hair. Was that uh, Eve yeah. or Mary? Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, and I don't know that she is shrill and horrible in real life, but she whines and bitches her way through the entire runtime of this movie, and I just wanted someone to choke her to death. Ah. Uh, well. I, 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 her name is Sammy Davis. That's why yeah. I, I hate her. Yeah. Uh, every th she whines every single line. She's worse than Mark Hamill in the original Star Wars movie. You heard me, Mark. Whines that's harsh. Every that's harsh. I, we don't need to drag Mark Hamill into this conversation. Oh, he's in it now. <laughs> the shrill blondes <laughs> cannot win. Well, yeah, I, 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 I thought that they were both of those sisters were kind of the weaker characters in the movie but they were also kind of the the victims of the movie right like they weren't meant to really they, be yeah, as they roll over and suck the only yeah. good female character is the evil snake lady yeah. who does make yeah. up for the rest amanda of donahoe's the uh actor there yeah, she, she, she is fantastic yeah she was Absolutely. wonderful in this she was wonderful in this and she i mean she basically is like a female version of dracula like we were saying it's dracula set in england and and it really works yeah. and i love the way that they're snake people, but they're still kind of basically vampires. You know, it, it, it's a, it's a, it's down, down to their distaste for the crucifix. I mean, it's pretty, pretty on the nose. Yeah. 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 Except when they spit their green venom on the crucifix, it, it, if people touch it, it causes a weird trippy flashback to, well, if you, if you touch it, it's LSD. If the, if you get it in your bloodstream, it's vampire venom from twilight movies. You become a, a, a snake vampire. That's yeah. how it works. And, uh, and there, the were, there were, and there were a couple of kind of cool side characters too. Like the, um, the Butler I thought was very intriguing. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Butler. 
Well, the yeah. butler and the cop stole the show. The yeah, yeah. yeah. The co- who who was the cop? Because I recognize him from so many movies. The one with the lazy oh, eye. Yeah. It's either a lazy eye or a glass eye. I wasn't quite sure. But... Is that what's going on? Uh, was... Paul Brook, I... I think, is his name. He was he he was very entertaining in this movie. He was kind of. Paul Brook. Let me make sure I got that right. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, remember... he... His he face was really. Is... Oh, go ahead. Uh, I. No, go on with the face. I'm trying to. I'm trying to articulate that thought. I just recognize his face from so many films, but I don't know his name, and I don't, you know. But I, I'm oh that guy. I recognize that guy. Oh and yeah, I had to look. I had to look up his Wikipedia page as soon as I got done with the movie because I'm like, who is that guy again? But uh, yeah, probably the most famous thing he was the uh, Rancor keeper in uh, Return of the. That's Jedi. it. That's oh. my, okay. Yeah, now that's <laughs> making. And Hamill's in it again. Yeah, I guess we can't escape. You even made him cry, Mark Hamill. You made him cry. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. the uh, the and the but the guy who played the butler, that character fascinated <laughs> me because I was like, is he working for the the reptile lady or is he just really weird? Like he has the it's best weird. line in the uh, in the movie too. <laughs> the Hugh Grant says gives him all these instructions and he's like, I want you to unlock the front door and, 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 and send the chambermaids to the rooms and tell them to lock the doors. And he says, unlock the front door and lock up the chambermaids. And he just has this yeah. look on his face when he says it, <laughs> like, like something like very naughty has just been said. And it's got, but it's, it's, it's got nothing to do with the context of what he original, what Hugh Grant originally meant it to mean. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's continually like, reminiscing about the days of Hugh Grant's father and all the escapades he'd get up to as well. It's, uh, <laughs> they've got a great dynamic. Uh, it's again, incredibly entertaining. Yeah. And incredibly the actually in, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I just want to say it was really British. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah, yeah, the, uh, the Butler was actually an I Claudius. Now I look so, and oh, another, really? we've reviewed on the podcast. Okay. I'll have to, who did he play? Does it say he played, uh, Calpurnius uh, Piso. So. Oh, oh, that's interesting. Okay, yeah, that's very interesting. I didn't recognize him at all, but that actually makes a lot of sense. And that, I don't know that, that I'm I'm not going to be able to watch I Claudius in the same way. Whatever I learn about an actor that you know from that series, and it it, it alters how I view their character in, f- in future viewings. Um, but uh, but yeah. That, I thought I thought the the butler was just really fascinating. I also mm-hmm. that scene where the butler comes into his room and is giving him food. I realized I would never want a butler in my life. Like it, I that I I just realized how intrusive that must be to your privacy every yeah. day. You know, having having well, someone that works for you in your bedroom in the morning. See, the, thing is, I mean? the thing is, if you're if you're if you're you know the character of of Hugh Hugh Grant's character in this, you're someone who's just this noble born person. That yeah. these people, it's it's just like they're they're just so beneath you that it doesn't even matter what they. Yeah, see. The, the social stratification was really striking in this movie. Like as because yeah. as yeah. an American, like I'm my heritage is hating British aristocracy. You know, like we got a real thing with that. At the same time. Hugh Grant makes a good case for them in this movie. He's actually pretty heroic and <laughs> in, cool. In so. an American movie, he would have been the villain, right? Or he would have been in cahoots oh, yeah. with the villain because he's the landlord of like all. Everybody else is living on his land in the film, right? So yeah. it's yeah. it's it's it, it just it wouldn't it doesn't really compute. In, you know, in, in the it, it doesn't. My American brain cannot make sense of it. I thought he was going to go over to the evil side, but no. Yeah. Whenever he goes and and meets the bad noble. 
you get a sense of like, oh, that she's not really noble. What she actually is is an imposter. It's a very different like I, cultural outlook on the value of like of nobility. Even this time around, I was waiting for him to work with the snake lady. Do you know what I mean? And even even at the very end, I had <laughs> forgotten about the, and, and spoilers. I forgot that Peter Capaldi is the one who becomes infected, and I thought he was going to be the one because of that scene where you see the the the, the reptile lady at his ankle. Um, <laughs> Uh, and so, you know, yeah, I'd forgotten about the final twist on this movie that had completely left my brain. Yeah. And it was. And, and for those who don't know, the Peter Capaldi's character, he gets an antivenom to inject into everybody when they get bit. And it seems to work. But then at the end of the movie, he gets a phone call informing him that it was just like a rabies thing or no, no. An arthritis, arthritis. arthritis. Yeah. Arthritis medicine. Yeah. And and so and then he clearly, you know, uh, goes to the dark side of whatever this this curse is. Um, so it's a very it's a kind of darkly it's, it's very humorous. Wily Coyote. The second he knows that the venom didn't, or the anti venom didn't work, that's when he changes. Yeah. It's like, oh, wait a second. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was I was I was intrigued by how quickly he just went to the dark side like that like, <laughs> to it, well, be fair he, pro- he probably had a, a shot of adrenaline in his is uh once he got that news and it might have sped up the whole process there you go Basically. sure that that's my explanation yeah. that's science people <laughs> i mean i suppose i i i i saw it more as he was consciously just like well i guess i'm on team reptile now and yeah <laughs> <laughs> it, it was sort of like you know 80s wrestling style morality is how I, is the lens that I was looking at it through. Like, well, I'm just on the bad team now. Um, yeah. You know, survive, self-preservation is the uh, is the way to go. Um, but uh, but I guess by implication that means that the women at the hospital were also uh, infected, right? If they, uh, or at least one of them, because we know that one of them might have been scratched and potentially been infected because he gave her a shot of the anti venom. Yeah, yeah, no, you're right, you're right. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, so uh, what? Let, let's talk about the trippy scenes. Uh, let's do. Yeah, well, <laughs> so when I first saw this movie, it was around the time when we were kind of becoming aware, I think. We're just at that age where we realized sometimes movies are not about what they literally seem to be about. There's meaning beyond the film and so those scenes we we would have we would have been receptive to them but we probably weren't able to crack them i don't think i was able to crack them this time around too i didn't really give it too much thought i i, I thought about it for a moment and then i'm like ah i'm not gonna i'm not gonna sit here and try to decipher all these images i'm just gonna enjoy how confusing they are they are and how and how how unusual they they look on the screen um but I don't know, how would you guys characterize the psychedelic aspects of the movie and the avant-garde aspects of the movie? Adam, you want to field this one? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I mean, they are... I mean, I've seen, like, a number of Ken Russell films, and it's like, those parts are, like, you know, what... Those are the most Ken Russell parts of the movie. I mean, that's like where you're getting these small dose. It's like this is like the gateway drug mm-hmm. if you want to get into Ken Russell films rather than like dive into something like Listomania where you're just like going to have wall to wall crazy the whole time. You're kind of getting little 
threshold doses of the insanity so that you can yeah, but that makes it even weirder because it's it's like a normal film but then it just suddenly <laughs> drops you into these moments so if it was all psychedelic i think it would have less of an effect it's the fact that i'm just dropped into wait a second she's like running around with yeah. this phallus and like painted blue and it's like it's real like the and the the body language of the scenes is all very bizarre and it's it, it just it it has an effect do you know what i mean it's just a very strange it's not i would not want to be on drugs watching this movie i would be afraid of <laughs> of 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 how the how 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 i might freak out at those scenes if i were in some kind of altered state and i know that the movie's probably intended to be viewed that way i'm sure there's a lot of people that that's that's the point but i i would be terrified of that I don't know. I, after having watched El Topo, I don't think that it, if you're immersed in it, it doesn't make it easier to deal with, you know, because they'll all it'll always find another sword. <laughs> another thing. Is but but yeah. don't you feel like I don't know. I find it jarring to be in a mundane world and then dropped into a surreal psychedelic world that no, I mean, you, you, I, I get your point about saying it is more jarring because it just comes out of nowhere as opposed to watching a really crazy, trippy movie the whole time. You do get a certain familiarity with the insanity whereas these yeah like the part where the uh where the woman touches the cross it's like boom that just comes out of nowhere you're just going to this super intense flashback scene just that you weren't even expecting in any way so it, it does have much more of an impact i think yeah it just rounds the corner right into crazyville yeah. um also the film quality is intentionally different in those scenes like it's yeah. Yeah. it almost looks like it's shot on a handheld in someone's basement i wouldn't have put it i wouldn't put it past the filmmakers and the effect of that is that it draws you effectively into this other kind of reality because like at first it didn't register to me how distinct those film qualities were but there there's an enormous gulf between them and it's a, a really good way to kind of draw that line between like fantasy and reality where this is where they're going kind of like this is the hallucination and this is what we're seeing from the audience perspective. Uh, so I like that. And also it, it that impact like you're talking about, like whenever you see the whole movie kind of get invaded by this other much more bizarre and insane movie that's clearly different. It, it feels it's actually shocking. And I, I really enjoyed that. But I'd like to point out there's another dream sequence, which is just as trippy with the same film quality as the rest of the film. And that's almost worse mm -hmm. because like it's got that kind of like Freddy Krueger. You don't really realize you're dreaming thing yeah. going mm -hmm. for yeah. it, you know, and it still has that like dream logic and dream imagery. And he does a really good job of bringing that to the fore. And it, it kind of felt like watching a David Lynch movie and it made me happy um, and, and terrified as David Lynch will do. But yeah, that, that I especially like when he's like, I like the the segue into that when he's looking at the the picture and he like sees himself walking into the painting of the cavern. It was really cool. Yeah, I I there's a scene like that. You know, you brought up Lynch. I mean, it's like it's a later movie, but there is a scene like that in Firewalk with me where there's the photo on the wall in uh, Laura Palmer's bedroom that you know she ends up walking into in a dream so it's like i i've wondered if that was an inspiration for david lynch when he did the same thing but it, it could have been from somewhere else too yeah. i mean it's a pretty classic image it's got kind of a dante vibe going on yeah i know or, or an alice in wonderland thing too i guess it's a very uh very lewis carroll kind of thing to do 
<laughs> now, what did you guys think of the whole snakes and ladders thing that she like that? That was like her eccentricity, I guess, as a character <laughs> that she played snakes and ladders. Um, hey, everything that, the whole scene surrounding that was fascinating. So I think that it winds up with that snakes and ladders thing getting burned, right? Yeah, but she first burns of all, in the that's. Fire. That's a gorgeous game board. And although I don't like Snakes and Ladders very much, uh, I do want that game board, number one. <laughs> and hopefully it destroy the only copy. We'll, we'll see. Um, I liked it because it was one of those things where, like... And actually, both of the noble characters have this in this movie, where almost every aspect of their life is a well-polished chess piece that they only bring out to either crush the, the hoi polloi under their indestructible game of being better than them because they're the aristocracy or to slowly and carefully maneuver one another. So that was fascinating. And I like that because everything about her character is something like that, where there's some like something about like when she's up in a tree later on, it, it's, yeah. it's inexplicable <laughs> and just insane to think that a noble woman would just climb a tree to find a cat. But at the same time, there's a sense of like genuine dread to that scene because you understand that that's not what you're seeing. What you're seeing is this, immortal aristocrat who is just playing this ancient and impossible to win game against you and this is just their latest move and well, you're well, just the serpent in the tree too of course there's mm -hmm. that whole aspect of it as well but <laughs> oh yeah there's a lot of like biblical imagery stuff yeah so. yeah well and and the, and the, and the fact it's just to joel's point that she she can dress like a dominatrix like in midday walking about and like nobody you know it's no you know i i didn't know if that was you know, because of the aristocrat thing and people, you know, or, or a polite English thing, but it did seem odd that she was, you know, able to just dress that way. And that was not, you know, it was the eighties. It was the eighties. But I mean, I don't remember people dressing like that, that, no, you know, eighties in England. Yeah, okay. Maybe, <laughs> maybe there was some fashion Man, thing. I was wrong eighties. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I, I did like the whole way that you had, Hugh Grant and her kind of they have like a moment where they kind of you know because because it's all it seems it doesn't quite go this way but it seems like it's building to a confrontation between them and yeah it's nice that you, Hugh Grant's conveniently gone for the climax of the yeah. movie he's like oh how did things go that's what was so weird about it is how he, great. <laughs> I, I love that he like straight up um uh, he he just didn't show up for it, you know. He dictated yeah. someone else to it. It's like, oh, you know, fetch my laundry, and oh, also uh, in that evil snake cult, I'll send you with some men. Well, and just how uh, confident he was when he saw the smoke that oh, it looks like it's been taken care of. So let's go celebrate with a drink, you know. It just was this. <laughs> I feel like he, I love that he directly compares his delegation of the task of worm slaying directly to his ancestor who got a sword and cut one in half. It's like, that was the same thing, just as heroic. Well, and he did cut one in half himself, but what's interesting about that scene is like, it's, initially it's like, wow, he's falling into the role of his ancestor, yeah. but then he literally falls and, he, and he, he tumbles into a drum set and something about hitting a modern drum set like that just really, I don't know, it just brought me, like, it brought me to earth a little bit with his character. It was like, mm -hmm. okay, he's not quite the dragon slayer that uh yeah, he does pick up know. that huge ludicrously gigantic claymore and slice yeah. somebody in half with it yeah um which doesn't work as it didn't work before but yeah something about that drum set just like clumsily like hugh granting into it and having it tumble everywhere <laughs> sort of sort of brings you back and i like the whole thing with the music the snake charming part of the movie i thought that was a nice yeah. little touch yeah. uh 
you know that's a, i feel like that plot device would really get hammered today like that would not that would be the kind of thing that just people it would just maybe seem too cheesy or well, you know, it, but, okay so the thing is that we get killed for today a, it's cheesy and and kind of dumb in a way that movies aren't allowed to be anymore because b I don't think snakes actually get charmed that. Yeah, way. that was my point. Yeah, stuff going on with yeah. snake charming, and then so of course, see cultural up. appropriation, blah blah blah. Yeah, I, I think it, for a lot of reasons that. But the thing is, it's fun, and that was from a time when you could you could draw on. I don't know what you would call it, like pop culture explanations of things, and just like mm-hmm. like the you know Let's like. Go with it. Yeah, yeah like, I mean, well, it's like when that movie Lucy, that Luc Besson movie Lucy came out and all the internet talked about for months after the first trailer came out, that 10%, you only use 10% of your brain thing isn't even true. Yeah, it's yeah. like, it's a movie yeah. about this character who gets superpowers <laughs> and you're, all you're talking about is this. It's like, that's, that's what's breaking yeah. this movie for you. Well, and don't get me wrong. I love having movies that are very grounded. My favorite science fiction movie is 2001. But I feel like you also need room for movies like this that that indulge in the dumb and it's not a problem. Do you know what I mean? Like like the dumb stuff that they indulge in. It's not it's not dumb in the context of a movie like this because it's operating at that kind of level. Do you know what I mean? It's not. The thing about that that always kind of blows my mind is that certain tropes are held up as inviolable, and ones like those are seen as stupid. Like, yeah. garlic and vampires is like a thing, you know? It's like, oh, of course yeah. the garlic will work. It's a vampire. What? <laughs> That's stupid. It's garlic. He's an immortal monster. It, what, the, why would garlic work? You know? Like, that's dumb. That is straight up ridiculous, all right? But that gets a pass garlic gets a pass sunlight gets a pass you're telling me there's immortal monsters who can't like get a tan stupid well speaking also, of tans this stuff. one this this monster had a tanning bed if i recall which i thought was kind yes. of cool too because i used to have snakes as a kid mm. and 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 that was like a nice little touch that she you know that that must have been you know for temperature purposes and all that um, well, yeah, and also this, as it's a vampire character, she's got this coffin-like thing she yes. goes in, just full of sunlight. Yeah, is... <laughs> I, yeah. I, I, I just thought that, and again, that's that why I'm saying that was a genuine Balderstone laugh. That must have really tickled you. Well, it's <laughs> funny. It's very funny, and it's and again, this is this is like a again stuff like the snake charming stuff is kind of hokey, but the movie is smart in a in a lot of ways, yeah. and so it, it earns its silliness. I mean. Yeah. We brought up Monty Python earlier, and it's the same thing. Monty Python is silly, but it's yeah. also really smart at the same time. Yes. And it's, I'm not saying this movie is a Monty Python movie. It's different. But it did ways, make me think of Monty Python. Even yeah. even even those psychedelic scenes kind of intrude into the movie the same like way that the Terry Gilliam, Gilliam yeah, animation yeah. does. <laughs> so, I mean, it's it's not it's it's not yeah. that, that far-fetched, I think. No, um, no. You know, but, uh, but yeah, I, I, I think that... Uh, the, the tanning bed I thought was a great touch. I thought that was like, like what would a reptilian aristocrat evil creature sleep in? A tanning bed. That that makes a yeah. lot of sense. And, and it connects to the vampire well, apparently stuff. Apparently a tall whisk, wicker basket, uh, which she emerges from. Oh, yeah. during the yeah. <laughs> which it's, uh, it, again, I, I it was funny. Okay, that's funny. At the same time, the imagery is appropriate in the movie, yeah. and like you said, it's really it's kind of clever, you know. So well, it's very stylish. It's very stylish having her in that basket, and then he plays the music, and she comes out yeah, of the basket. She does and the it, cobra yeah. emerge. 
that was and, and and I think that's the kind of thing it it's it's kind of a ballsy move because like it it is ridiculous and the actors they know it's ridiculous everybody involved knows how ridiculous it can look but because she's so committed to it it's persuasive it works and she's still like you know her like the whole thing about this character she basically has to seduce the audience right she needs to be seductive to the audience as a character like both like physically but also as just a character and when she does those yeah. kind of scenes I don't know, I, 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 fi- I find it, like, very, you know, she's the one being charmed, but it's also charming. Do you know what I mean? It's like a, it's yeah. like a, uh, uh, I don't know, I just think it works. And and I, I think the same thing with, um even the guy with the lazy eye. Do you know what I mean? Like, he, he, it, when he does, you know, yeah, yeah, he's a, he's so a very funny. repugnant looking guy. Like, let's not, we can't mince words with him. He's not <laughs> the most handsome person in the world. But there was something very charming about his acting when he was under the effect of the bagpipes do you know what i mean and and i think it, i think it came down to they both were were really committing to this idea of i am a snake person being lulled by music and and <laughs> and i was willing for those brief moments to buy into it you know so it just is a you know this movie just and i think that's why this movie is so fun you know, you're just you're sitting there and you're just like i you know I, like one of the things that we sometimes complain about when we review movies on here is how some films, even if we like them, that the fact that I have to squeeze in this two-hour movie before I do a podcast in the afternoon, mm-hmm. it can sometimes be a burden or something. So sometimes mm-hmm. there's yeah. like an ounce of resentment that you're directing towards the movie. And this is one of those movies that escapes that for me because I'm having so much fun watching it. It's just like a what? a really yeah. campy, yes. fun film. It, well, it's campy, but even the characters are taking the piss out of it. Because like in the yeah. last scene, when the archaeologist shows up in full scottish regalia with his bagpipes and he's just like death marching through this mansion playing the bagpipes and gasping for breath and he's so stoic and committed about it and it's so cartoonish that the the juxtaposition of those extremes makes it so wonderfully unique that you're sold maybe not on either one of those extremes but on this new and perfect blend of them well it's the kind of movie where you you're watching it and you're sort of sitting there and you're like, am I watching a man dressed in like full Scottish regalia with the kilt playing bagpipes? And he's, he, he's, he's charming, uh, a lazy eyed cop. That's now like a reptilian disciple of this snake cult. And it, 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 it doesn't, it, you accept it all for some reason. Do you know what I mean? It just, it just, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't, you know, it's silly, but it doesn't feel out of place. Do you know what I mean? It just, well, you know. right. M- much like that scene where he has the Dirk under his, uh, uh, his little his, his flannel there. I'm not going to give you the specifics, but he also pulls a grenade from there. And I thought to myself during that scene, first of all, I, I was like, okay, I believe that. And the third thing I thought, and I don't know why was I'll bet he has two of them under there. <laughs> and again, I, I mean, it's just that movie. It's just that kind of movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I had a blast rewatching it. I, I wasn't sure how I was going to feel about it because it had been so long. And, and my, my only memory of it was I remember this movie kind of selling itself on sex. And generally when I've gone back and rewatched films that were like that, they don't hold up because they're such a product of their time. Do you know what I mean? It's sort of like, let's make a quick buck with whatever people find sexy in this year and this day. And you go back and watch the movie and there's not really much movie around, you know, what the, you know, 
the the, the sexual selling point. But this is actually a good movie. Do you know I mean it's got it, it's a movie that they they obviously were able to 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 sell it on some of the sexy stuff, but the the the, the reason to watch the movie is for the the, the fact that it's a decent film. Do you know I mean it's a yeah. it's a um it, it it I don't know, it just it just it just is a it's just a good movie the whole way through. Um and I and it's so good that like I I never once looked at the running time. I don't even know how long this movie is after watching it. Normally, I'm keenly aware of the running time. <laughs> but on this one... It's, it's actually... It's not that long. Because uh, I managed to squeeze it on last night before I went to sleep. Mm-hmm. And bedtime for me was 9.30 last night. So I think it's only like 90 minutes. It's a, okay. it's a little thing. Okay, yeah. So, so I, I... Oh, go ahead. I mean, it's, it's just, you're right, though. It's just in and out. Yeah, it, it, did, it didn't... It, 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 it just is a... Uh... I don't know, and, may, and maybe it's because it reminds me of the movies I used to watch at that time. Maybe that's part of it. Mm. But I just felt it just felt very comfortable watching this film. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so uh, we're gonna have to end it a little early tonight because I have to go pick up my wife, um, and I don't want to get in trouble. So uh, so why don't we all give our uh, our final take on the movie, or or any any comments that you wanted to bring up that we haven't got to yet uh, before we head out. Mm-hmm. I don't know, man. There wasn't a lot of movie, but we we really dug into it, didn't we? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we had a we had a whole Cotton Eye Joe thing too, and didn't kind of came out of nowhere. <laughs> I, I have to listen to that now. I I, I uh, it's going to be one of the first things I do is go listen to Cotton Eye Joe and uh, and 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 see if uh, if I was right to agree with you on on that point. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I I was you know I have to say I was like like you Brendan I I was I, even though I recommended doing this on the podcast there's part of me going man I really hope this doesn't stick yeah. cuz I haven't watched it since the 90s. Yeah. And but yeah, I mean for me this movie has a special place in my heart. It's one of those movies like Evil Dead 2 that I watched back in Ooh. the 80s where I had no idea what I was getting into when I mm. sat down to watch this movie. I was like it's just like you know you sit down to watch Oh, that's a, a familiar feeling. What's that? That's a familiar feeling. Thanks for the heads up, jerk. <laughs> <laughs> it's a uh, yeah. So I I don't know. I, I I was very happy just to have my uh my affection for the movie confirmed after seeing it after all this time. Yeah, I think uh, I I was I was pleasantly surprised by how much I enjoyed it because I was I had, I basically had the same exact feeling as you. I I would say to people that are you know, listening to this and not sure whether they want to see this movie. It's probably worth it just to see Hugh Grant and Peter Capaldi together in these roles. I think that's, it's, it's mm-hmm. re- Peter Capaldi looks really different. I think like I, I was uh, the, I forgot he was in it. And when the movie started, I saw his name and I was like, wait a second, Peter Capaldi is in this. And I, I'm watching the movie. I'm like, well, when is Peter Capaldi going to show up? I'm waiting for Peter Capaldi. And I didn't realize I'm watching Peter Capaldi. <laughs> Peter Capaldi. He's the ar- archeologist. The, the just the the hair and the glasses just threw me and the fact that he was so much younger Hugh Grant you recognize right away like Hugh Grant uh, like Hugh Grant he, Hugh Grant did become like an immortal undead during the making of yeah. this movie so he just looks yeah he's insane. I I do have to say he has aged a lot more mercifully than Peter Capaldi Peter Capaldi is a great actor but it, but he he looks his age and and I, I feel like Hugh Grant got a time has Hugh given Grant him more still leniency looks like this yeah yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> And, and, but the thing is, this is also like just a Hugh Grant plays characters like this. Do you know what I mean? Peter Capaldi uh-huh. is now known for playing really curmudgeonly type characters, yeah, and true. You know, and and so there's there are moments in this film when you see him 
veer in. There's a moment where he rebukes somebody in a conversation, and you can see his eyebrows arc, and it's like, ooh, that's the Peter <laughs> Capaldi I know. But yeah. but for the most part, he's kind of playing a nerdy archaeologist type, so it doesn't it doesn't quite come off the way that Hugh Grant is definitely playing this sort of suave, aristocratic kind of humorous sort of charming guy um so you know it's <laughs> but but yeah so so but anyways but for that and also you know uh how do you pronounce her name amanda donahoe is that how you yeah uh, yeah she, she's great in this too like she's great Amazing. you know yeah. oh my god she I, she sort of steals the show and like it's hard to steal the show from hugh graham and peter capaldi but God, she's great. And I, I think what I love about this movie regarding her is I think you guys are right. The marketing for this movie probably really sold her up because she's drop dead gorgeous yeah. in this movie. She's a knockout, man. Like, I, I'm not one to, like, go on about someone's physical beauty, but oh, my God. But, you know, that's not even close to the best part of her in this movie because her yeah. performance is just that good. That's what I was so committed that's what I was kind of afraid of. I was like, well, I remember her being like incredibly pretty in this movie, but I was afraid I was going to go and watch it and it would be like her acting would be terrible. And I'd be like, oh my God, this was just this terrible schlocky film. And no, the acting was really good. You know, that was mm. the, and, and the, it, it just all, it just, you know, again, it just all worked. It, was, it wasn't as cheesy as I thought it was going to be going back to it. That yeah. was the, the thing that, like, I mean, it's, it's definitely in the weird and silly camp, but it it it, it, it kind of knows what it's doing. It's not it's not beyond the control of the people that are involved in it. Do you know what I mean? It, it's yeah. It's, it's it, and I guess Evil Dead would be a good comparison because it's like Evil Dead in that way. Yeah. Or Evil Dead Evil is Dead, Evil, Evil Dead, Dead Two is the one I specifically mm. um, was comparing it to. Yeah, and and, and and just when I say Evil Dead. That's usually what I mean is Evil Dead. Yeah. That's the, uh, <laughs> I know. Yeah. Um, yeah. I know. <laughs> yeah. Evil Dead 1 is definitely a different ball of wax than Evil yeah. Dead 2. But the things I like about Evil Dead 1, but it's just not the insane roller coaster yeah. ride the second one is. But you know what I mean? That's a weird, strange movie, but it's under the full command of, of, uh, of Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell. Yeah. They, are, they are in control of, of, every, of, of, of how outlandish it's getting. And, well, that's I mean, that, and that's an impressive thing about this movie is this movie was the obligatory project that a director had to make in order to get to make another movie, which could often just be a horrible thing. And it's like, no, he's like, he's like, OK, you want me to do a horror movie? I am going to do a really <laughs> fun horror movie. It's like he he didn't didn't take it as a chore. He just just went with it and it's the uh, job enthusiastically did his put his own spin on it and really made a fantastic movie exactly uh, exactly yeah this is a good lead into schlocktober i think because this is maybe the best or at least classiest schlock yeah I've this ever is seen. this is the caviar of schlocky horror it's the caviar yeah. of yeah. schlock yeah. oh my god i want to remind you a comment i made when we select this for schlocktober i'm like i'm not sure if this is schlock but yeah. i'm so glad to have this on the schedule i'm not gonna try and get it knocked off by arguing it's not schlock so i'm just just leaving and, that alone yeah and no and now that i've seen it again it's definitely less schlocky than i remember i remembered it being yeah, a very okay. schlocky movie and 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 it's almost more of like an art film in a lot of ways when you watch it now you know it it is yeah. nearly yeah. that we are connoisseurs of schlock, and 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 I would also <laughs> say, sure, people. I I would also say that it's um, I think, really uh, appropriate 
to follow Bram Stoker's Dracula with this, both because they're Bram Stoker, yeah. but because they have that same level of surreal art housiness to them, but done in a way that's not like super snobby and like a, it. It doesn't. It's an. It's a film that everybody can enjoy. It's not. It's not like a. Um, it's not like one of these elusive art house movies where, you know, you're sitting there, and and you're doing all the work <laughs> to, to, yeah. to watch the movie. Yeah. I think this is like a potential gateway to Ken Russell movies for you too. And I think, I think an important thing this movie teaches you too, is when you're watching a Ken Russell movie, he has a big sense of humor and it's okay. Even though it's a weird arty movie, you are allowed to find things funny in Ken Russell movies yeah. because he probably does too. So, yeah. I, and so with that, we'll, uh, we'll, yeah. we'll head out. Yeah. We're out of time. And, um, I think we're I think we're we're vying for it's between Puppet Master and Maximum Overdrive for next week I believe we'll uh, we'll discuss off air which which one of those two contenders can make it into Schlocktober, um, but so we'll we'll hopefully have one of those next time around, and until next time we will talk to you later.